Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. Welcome back, listeners, and Happy New Year. We have survived 2020, I think. This is our first episode for 2021. I am Chris Hill. This is The Expanse, Hallsuite Media's exclusive enterprise podcast. And with me, as always, except for like two, maybe three episodes, is Kyle West. How you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing good, man. Happy New Year to everyone. I think it's probably too soon in the year to say it 2021 will hopefully be a better year than 2020 i don't think any of us 12 months ago <laughs> envisioned 2020 being the year right well i can't use the word on this show uh, that it was but looking forward to talking about this week's episode and just a full year it's gonna be our first full year touch wood touch wood yeah of, uh, of this podcast can't wait i'm gonna have to obviously edit out that sound of us touching wood because <laughs> otherwise it's gonna deafen you all listening but we're all good before i go ahead and get into our socials i'll go ahead and introduce our special guest today we have ria papa giorgio with us today Woohoo! i'm happy to be here yeah nice to meet you guys chris and kyle and before we um go any further i have to defend 2020's honor as i do all the time because <laughs> i loved 2020 2020 was my year and i said that back in january and again my heart goes out to everyone who you know, was sick or suffering or lost loved ones or anything in 2020. I actually had the COVID myself in March and April, yeah, same. Yeah. but 2020 was really my year. So I had it exact same time as you actually. So oh, wow. So for us, the whole, the rest of the year was like, come on, just get COVID over and done with <laughs> <laughs> We've like, done what? it. We've done it. Full-time telework. Yes. I don't have to go anywhere. Awesome. I know. I know. That's like, that is I, 2020. It's not all been bad. Yeah. For some people it has been, but yeah, I, I look at the year and I've, I got more time with my children as a result of all the negative mm-hmm. stuff. So the whole thing of look for the positives and the negatives. I had some. Mm-hmm. I would never have had that time with my children ever. Yes. Like they, that just yeah. never would have happened because uh, they would be in school for the next however many years, like uh, I don't know, fifteen <laughs> years. So mm-hmm. yeah. So twenty twenty, I take back a little bit what I said. You you weren't a complete <laughs> shit show. Um, you you did have a few uh, a few ups, and for Rhea, apparently you were a brilliant year. So yes. Oh, we should probably say where Rhea's from, Chris. Yes, yes. We haven't just pulled Rhea in off the street. <laughs> She's from the Trek community, obviously. You actually got this spot with us on a show, came on to join us because um, you work with Amy Nelson on Galaxy Class. The famous Amy Nelson, the one and only. Yep, and I am one of the co-hosts on Galaxy Class. And before that, I was with her on Earl Grey. But yeah, Galaxy Class is on the United Federation of Podcasts. And we also have the infamous Joe Keegan and Santa himself, mm-hmm. Kevin Scarf, that are, are with us on Galaxy Class. Yeah, so Amy's been a very terrible influence on me and <laughs> 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 a 
pulled me into the whole convention scene and the yeah. podcasting scene. And yeah, life has not been the same. Uh, the Amy effect. Mm-hmm. The Amy Nelson effect. Watch out for her, kids. <laughs> Next thing you know, she'll be your roommate on a cruise. Have you been on the cruise? No. No, I've never been on a cruise in my life. So after seeing how much fun everyone was having on the 2020 cruise, pre-COVID, oh, wow. I booked a room on the 2021 cruise. And then, as it turns out, that'll now be a 2022 cruise. But yeah, Amy and I will be going to that together, along with quite a few nice. other members of our Star Trek family. So yeah. So excited that's awesome i did my first convention just over a year ago so i think it was it was destination star trek in 2019 in birmingham yeah i was there did we Were meet you? yeah i don't know <laughs> i was i was a loner i was on my own so <laughs> my first time going to a trek convention so i didn't nice. uh I, I was knackered i left at like three in the morning i think because i was taking a coach wow. up there so i was so tired but i don't even know what incentivized me to go i think i was kind of just like at that point i was 33 mm-hmm. and i thought i was starting to wear my geekdom on my sleeve like wearing out on my sleeve a bit more like you know and um not being ashamed of anything and so i just decided to go and i had one of the best times i can only imagine yeah. what it would, would have been like sharing it with people but i thought the venue was good and i've got obviously got to meet a few of the stars so you came over for for yeah. that convention then i did go there by myself but um met up with you know, some people, but if you saw a mirror lol walking around, that was me. Oh, um, I, I wouldn't even remember. I was so, I, think what other... I was in awe of like the cosplays, different level. You know, like I used mm. to watch the documentaries, you know, like Trekkies and all those, and mm-hmm. you'd see the out the uniforms. And I know that like that, some, that, that scene used to kind of give Trek fans, um, some of the, the, the jokes that would get made about them and stuff, mm-hmm. but, but it's, it, paved the way for cosplay i think as a whole mm-hmm. and like you look now though like when you're when i was at that show react i couldn't believe some of the outfits that i was seeing they were next level and when you go online yeah. you see how long people yeah. work yes. on them and it's it's like I, I can only applaud them because wow i wouldn't be able to ever be able to knock something up like that I'd yeah they to. were yeah <laughs> i agreed i mean that was only my second convention and really my first time trying to do any cosplay <laughs> so yeah that's impressive indeed well, what do you know? We've kind of accidentally not met met before. Yeah, we're from different we're from different countries, and we've breathed oxygen in the same room. Mm-hmm. There you go. Who did you get photos with? Did you get photos with anyone? I did. I did. I got photos with. Well, I had to do Brent Spiner because I was mirror tall. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, George Takei, and I wore this like suede poncho that looks just like what he wore in Star Trek Three. Um, I got a picture <laughs> with Tanya Lamani, who was in Wolf in the Fold in the original series. Okay. And Tracy Coco, of course, of course, Lieutenant Junior J. <laughs> we didn't share a queue together then, so I did. Um, I did Ethan Peck, which mm. I really cocked up the photo on. I've spoken about that in other <laughs> episodes of this show. I'm not. I'm not going to embarrass myself again. But who else did I? Oh, um, Trip Tucker himself, Connor Trenier, uh, and then uh, Voke, Ash Tyler, Shazad oh. uh, Latif. So. Oh. Um, well, see, now I got to, sorry, I have to cool myself here. <laughs> I did get a picture with Shazad at uh, at STLV that year, oh, which was yeah. my first ever convention. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He's so tall. So I'll be at the next um, Destination Star Trek. I'll be there next year. Same here. I was going to go this year, but, you know. Yeah, same, happened. same. I hadn't actually paid for anything on it yet because mm-hmm. I was waiting to sell my house, which finally happened. But we'll have to meet up. Yes, for sure. God willing, I will be there. Yeah, now I've got actual friends in the uh, 
in the Trek fandom. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to. <laughs> I don't have to uh, hide. And I think my missus is going to come. So, cool. yeah, she's she's uh, becoming a little bit of a Trekkie. As this episode airs, actually, everyone, um, I think probably two days ago, because I'm pretending that I'm actually recording this on the 3rd of January, uh, or, uh, about two days ago, three days ago, <laughs> you should have heard the first episode of her first Trek, uh, which is Katie's uh, adventure through Star Trek. Uh, with me she's watched enterprise and lower decks and stuff but uh, she's never seen tos tng ds9 voyager so doing one episode a week of each one if any of you knew katie the idea that she will sit down Mm -hmm. and watch something from the 60s let alone a sci-fi show from the 60s is incredible (laughs) to even just picture but i I can give a little spoiler on you now is that you know this past week she's been watching one of the episodes on her own ahead of time so We'll get in places. So maybe she'll be at the next track convention I go to. Who knows? Molding her into something that's, uh, <laughs> uh, that's long-term. <laughs> Not like the kids weren't long-term, but there we go. Uh, so uh, we're here for this show to talk about the Borg, Chris. Mm-hmm. We mentioned on the last episode that we're going to be reviewing Regeneration in two weeks' time. We're going to do a little bit of a, a build-up to it with um, discussion today of Kuhu and the Borg as a species, if you can call them that, uh, or as a collective. Mm-hmm. And then next week we'll be on First Contact. So Ria's joining us for this week's show. And Chris, you get the business out of the way and then we can crack into it. Go ahead and be uh, sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at NX01Podcast. We also have a Patreon. Check that out at patreon.com slash NX01Podcast. Do you want to go ahead and give your socials out too, Ria, or... Is it just Facebook? Well, I am somewhat of a technological packlid, as listeners of Galaxy Class know. Although, for the record, I'm a packlid that does not kill people. Um, so you can find me on Facebook in the Federation Council Chambers. Um, and you can, of course, email me at contact at ufp.earth. But as for Twitter and Instagram and MySpace and Friendster and all that stuff, <laughs> I am not linked into those things. <laughs> I like the LinkedIn to those things as well. <laughs> Another platform right there. Rhea made it funny. <laughs> so, uh, Rhea, do you want to go ahead and uh, give us a real quick history of yourself with Trek? Sure. So I grew up with Trek. My mom and my mom's side of the family were all, you know, Star Trek fans. And when I say Star Trek, at that time, all, all that encompassed was the original series and the animated series that no one really knew about. It was always a presence in my life. I loved the original series movies, especially the pinnacle of Western cinema, which is Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I remember, you know, that fateful evening in, what, 1986 when Encounter at Farpoint aired and sitting around the TV with my mom and sisters and we watched it and afterwards we were like, "Mm, okay, okay. So, yeah, uh, you know, fast forward a few decades like I, you know, have mentioned before, I'm kind of a technological packlid. I had seen, you know, some DS9, I'd seen some Voyager, I'd seen most of the next gen just as they came on TV. But that was about it. I'd never seen Enterprise, never really heard of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Discovery came out and I didn't even know it was out until after the first season had aired. But what kind of turned the the tide for me was for some reason I went looking for a Star Trek podcast. I'm like, oh, that'd be fun to listen to. And I discovered Mission Log, and that was the beginning of the end for me. So um, at that point, (laughs) I decided I needed to watch every episode of every series. And from that podcast, I learned about other podcasts. And that's how I learned that there was this new show called Discovery. Like I said, I caught it after the first season, 
but was able to catch up and then watch the second season live as it aired. By then, you know, it was too late. <laughs> there was no turning back. Just listening to the famous Amy Nelson, she would talk about STLV so much. So I decided I had to go to STLV, which was last year, 2019, or two years ago, sorry, 2019. And once I met the people, that's the icing on the cake. At this point, you know, if I had to, if I could never watch another Star Trek episode again, but could still hang out with all the Star Trek people, you know, that's a fair trade because Star Trek fans are just the awesomest people out there. And yes, I am a completist now. I have seen every episode of everything. I had to like scramble to watch Enterprise because my goal was to finish it before STLV. <laughs> so that's pretty much my Star Trek history. I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> Isn't it funny to think that you said in 1986 you were sat down with, or with your mother and sisters, you'd say, and watching Encounter at Farpoint. And then, yeah, fast forward three and a half decades and you're on, mm-hmm. a, you're on a TNG podcast. I know. Who would have thunk that? Especially after watching that yeah. first episode back when there were no such things as podcasts or the internet or yeah. <laughs> you know you know what's even harder about Encounter at Farpoint is like watching it with today's view and experience mm-hmm. ingrained and then <laughs> and then going back on because I've obviously recently watched that for uh, for my new podcast series and oof, you almost have to be a fan to go back and watch some of the older stuff now so like you know when people say oh, I want to get into Star I see it on Reddit all the time mm-hmm. I want to get into Star mm-hmm. Trek where shall I start and you got a couple of people will say, you know, go with the new ones, Discovery Picard. And you got a few saying, no, it's got to be TNG or TOS. Mm-hmm. Start at the beginning. And I'm like, man, you cannot tell. I said no. this to you before, Chris, and you're a diehard TOSer. Mm-hmm. You cannot tell someone in 2021 uh, who wants to get into Trek to go and start with TOS, unless they've got some kind of proper sci fi geekdom that they can tolerate mm-hmm. the older stuff. Like I've recently started watching the flash tv show the old show not the not the new one the old one lois and clark i watched tonight as well from what was it 1993 i think that started so like yeah. i would be able to go and watch something from the 60s but you can't you can't tell someone to to do that and unless they're an old fart like me because i prefer <laughs> that style you know some of the st- in any of the new stuff and, and by new stuff i'm including like the original iron man movie <laughs> where there's just so much <laughs> action and stuff going on that I, I can't even my eyes can't even follow it so you know I guess if you have a, an old fart or a slow <laughs> pack lady friend <laughs> that you want to introduce to Star <laughs> Trek maybe starting with the older stuff but for me that stuff doesn't bother me but I, I think it's even better now to watch I was just talking with this with my mother a couple of weeks ago because the first couple of seasons of TNG were, were difficult <laughs> to get through <laughs> at the time yeah but to watch them now looking back on them and knowing the 30 plus years of universe building that have come since now things make a lot more sense things fall into place a lot more easily mm-hmm. i think you can approach them with a better perspective can't you yeah and i, I think that's very true of the episodes that we're going to mm-hmm. be discussing today as well yeah. because absolutely you know there is some things in q who that don't completely line up with what we find out about the borg later on but then also mm-hmm. you could see where later on they were trying to trying to line up some bits with that, like right. the, the babies and, and the, yeah, the baby Borg and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think perspective, going right. back with, with the perspective of what came after, like you said, really, it does add layers now to it, I think. And even when something contradicts completely, I know some people are like, blasphemy. I'm kind of like, ha, this was before they did that in that, yeah. in that show. And you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I laugh at these things. And then I have all these mental retcons 
in my head, all this head canon. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting rewatching Q Who for this recording and realizing that I had to peel a lot of those layers back and watch what was in the episode yeah. and not be filling in, you know, the blanks with what came subsequently. Did anybody go ahead and decide to look up why the, the Borg were introduced at this point? Oh, yeah. I didn't, because I was doing Christmas decorations all day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Commander Shelby here that you're bringing in as a subject matter expert on the Borg here in the TNG era. <laughs> so when TNG first aired, you couldn't have, you know, as, as the major enemy, you couldn't have the Klingons mm-hmm. because now we're at peace and Worf is aboard the ship. And so they wanted to come up with a new scary alien species. And of course, that was the Ferengi. <laughs> Well, <laughs> that didn't quite take. People were not afraid of the Ferengi. And so by the end of the first season, the writers had already decided to come up with a scarier alien species. And if you remember in the episode, The Neutral Zone, at the end of season one, a bunch of star bases along the neutral zone mm-hmm. with the Romulans had been destroyed. And th- that was kind of a mystery that they left hanging. That was supposed to be the first part of a trilogy. And this, you know, evil alien species were supposed to be like insectoids. Well, by the time, you know, season two came about, they didn't really have the budget, the means to make these insect aliens. And so that's where the Borg came from. And one thing they kept from the insect concept was the the idea of like the hive mentality, you know, like the group mm-hmm. mind, a collective. And so that actually came, had its roots in the, the insectoid aliens. But I think that the Borg are far more horrifying because you've got that body horror aspect. You've got, you know, humanoids, but mutilated humanoids. So I think it worked out just beautifully. And they are, again, far more frightening than the Ferengi. Yeah, I just recently watched the Ferengi episode of TNG, Last Outpost. So um, the acting was something incredible in that. It reminds you that you're watching actors... (laughs) (laughs) yeah i come from a a stage background initially so i mean what they were doing i used to do when i when i was like 12 Mm -hmm. on stage yeah i mean the ferengi it was a bust wasn't it straight away and can you imagine if the borg had been that insect species even if they had enough money to do it in the 80s can you imagine how bad they would have looked (laughs) it would have been another flop wouldn't it it would have just gone exactly the same way as the ferengi Yeah. yeah i'm picturing the critters from cat's paw <laughs> i don't think you could really do it properly until now really if mm-hmm. you had something i guess like species 8472 that kind of visual but you wouldn't be able to afford to do that all the time we saw them like what twice i think throughout or three times throughout the run of uh, voyager yeah and even with the borg there was because of the expense um, among mm. other reasons you know we basically had one borg episode a season in tng starting with season mm-hmm. two but yeah, I don't think they could have pulled the insect thing off. Plus, it, I really don't think it would have been as as frightening, as as uh, ominous an enemy as the Borg. Yeah, yeah. As you said, you know, the bodies being deformed and taken over—that you can't—that is—it's always something that makes me feel uncomfortable when I watch mm-hmm. any sci-fi. Because it's obviously a very common concept through sci-fi, and um, and that's what's—I don't get it so much from. And I guess we'll talk about this with Q Who though. With, with like that version of the Borg, mm-hmm. but certainly as as we went into like First Contact, where they really sort of got changed into the, like a horror, f- yeah. as much as horror yeah. as Trek is going to get. And then when they mm-hmm. st- sort of stayed that way, that for me, like I always remember the tubes in the neck in First mm-hmm. Contact because I was like, I think I was eleven when I saw that oh, wow. that film, so uh, that that stuck with me for <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> but no, with, with the Borg, it's something in the fandom. I can't remember what I always hear, but you always. People often try and say that the conspiracy aliens mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. some sort of link, at least conceptually, 
with the Borg. Is there any, as the expert, <laughs> do we know if there's any truth to that? Or is that just something the fans have sort of let allowed to grow as a, as a yeah. story over the years? Well, putting my Commander Shelby hat on again, I think that originally the conspiracy aliens were supposed to be, you know, yeah. that th more was supposed to come out of that. I mean, those weren't exactly insectoid. I don't know what you would call those. Parasectoid? <laughs> Parasites? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. There were, are some parallels in that story. The signal that was sent and something I would love to see Lower Decks pick up on. Mm. See what happened to those mm -hmm. critters. But yeah, the, the, the Borg story kind of parallels that because here in Q who you've got you know the signal sent well in regeneration you've got yeah, the signal yeah. sent yeah. to the delta quadrant so but I don't think they were tied into each other finally I, I can take closure from that now yes Rhea has spoken the word of Rhea um, no link <laughs> whatsoever Rhea the pack led has spoken keep that in mind <laughs> now kind of backtracking a little bit Kyle we we are an enterprise podcast and you forgot the insectoid Indies. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I get, yeah. I was trying to think more of the of recurring, because even the insectoids uh, on Enterprise, they look good, but it was very obviously CGI. And I think they, there's yeah. a reason they weren't, it was the reptilians that were the mm -hmm. the main, the main uh, villains, not the insectoids, because you just wouldn't be able to do with them what they yeah. could the reptilians. But they could now. You've actually caught me there, Chris, yeah. I should probably <laughs> should have mentioned the, the main insectoids <laughs> from our show, yeah. Well, again, in the insectoids, you're, you're 10, 15 20 years, whatever, down the road, tech, you know, yeah. production-wise. So it was more feasible. Kyle, what were your initial thoughts when you first saw the Borg come on screen? Was it with First Contact or was it with TNG? No, I knew them from before First Contact because Aloha, as a baby, I was being shown TOS because my, my dad was watching it. So I was born in 86. Uh, I used to apparently be terrified of the man in the green costume, which was the Gorn, um, and things <laughs> like that. But, I mean, I showed that to my son a year ago, and he wanted to be a Gorn. So th this might tell you the difference between me and my <laughs> <laughs> me and my child. But I couldn't tell you which one was my first episode. I feel like it might have been Descent. might have been the first yep. time where I realized properly. But then in my head, I feel like I recognized the fact that the ship's was a different Borg ship to the, to the normal cube. So I don't know. But I, I think my first real experience with the Borg was when they'd started to humanize them a little bit and try to sort of get into the psychology. So probably, um, and probably the I Borg, the Borg then for you? Yeah, it's probably some point around that. In fact, I Borg could have been it. I think Q Who was probably the, the last Borg episode I saw from TNG because I didn't really have access to the uh, the first two, three seasons properly okay. until I had the DVDs, which uh, came out when I was about... 16 i guess when i when i collected those so i'd always seen the later ones because my dad had them all on vhs and stuff but i didn't remember watching the other ones but my thoughts on the borg is i as i said first contact borg onwards for me are, are my superior borg and that's how i always choose to remember them i think the way they were introduced was really cool because they're not really for me a star trek style species even then like watching q who in preparation for yeah. this it's amazing how much they sort of stick out and not in a bad way but like in a wow right. we haven't really encountered anything like this mm -hmm. at this point again because as we said earlier about going back having seen 30 years of track since you know you have to remember going back that we hadn't seen anything like this we'd seen evil computers and things but yeah we, we hadn't really seen uh computers attached to people and so well thought out you know, yeah. the whole episode was just about introducing basically the concept of this species. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's essentially what it did. And 
you know, we saw the babies, we saw the, they were trying to figure out the high, how the hive mind was working or the collective uh, in the cube. That kind of stuff always appealed to me early on because it was so different. And I know it's, it's, there's various versions of the Borg that exist in other sci-fi franchises, I think, like that idea. But I think the Borg is the one that doubles down on it and, and capitalizes on it. And uh, particularly with how they were from first contact onwards, I thought yeah. from that point on, the Borg are something of their own which makes them stand out from the other franchises, where which it might have done the evil part man, part AI or something like that, which maybe the Borg weren't so separate from for the first couple of appearances in TNG. But I like what they did. It was ambitious because, as you said, Rhea, they st- were still costly to use the Borg uh, on TNG. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily always think that look, <laughs> looking at them, but for the time, you know, that those outfits and uh, and it was always a space battle. So um, would have cost would have cost a lot to them. Yeah, the cube... You know, the exteriors of the cube, the internals of the cube were, were all, uh, it looked like nothing else. It's not like you could, you know, reuse set, you know, sets from the Romulan bird yeah. of prey or something like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So they, they were, they were groundbreaking, one of a kind. And I think when, when you said they're not very, they're different from typical Star Trek villains or Star Trek aliens, uh, you can't reason with them. And, yeah. you know, even probably, well, maybe Captain Kirk could could you know talk them into a self-destructing but you know they, they weren't interested in reasoning or negotiation or anything it was they had you know of course their motives kind of changed throughout their their portrayal but yeah they had their purpose they had their function resistance was futile <laughs> and that was there for yeah at least for 10 years really because uh, Chakotay makes that exact point to Janeway if you remember in Scorpion part one he's talking about and you can't make a deal with them uh, yeah. Whatever the story was, the scorpion and the... I can't remember what his version of it was, but... Mm-hmm. The toad, was the I think it was. Oh, yeah, so... Uh, whichever way it was. But, yeah, that idea that even if you can get them to kind of go along with you right now, they are just waiting to to sting you. Um, yeah. Because that's just how... That's yeah. just what they are. They do everything in their own interests. But I'll tell you something that was really cool, actually, about the Borg. Was, you, know, the, you know the first drone, and I guess we'll talk about now in q when the first one gets killed... Just the fact when another one just appeared and carried on the job, you kind of like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, they don't, they don't care about one of them dying, and they can just beam them in and just carry on. Like, what? They don't care. The one like harvested parts off the dead one, and that was really chilling. And the crew of the Enterprise is just standing there watching this happen, and and realizing that this, you know, this adversary is not like anything they've ever encountered before. Don't value life. No. Yeah. Not even their own. <laughs> no. It means nothing to them. But, you know, think about any time you do anything and, you know, you pick up a box and some skin cells rub off. Well, you don't go back and get those skin cells. And that's kind of what these drones are to the collective. You know, they're just, mm. oh, you, you know, you, you lost a you know, hangnail. Who cares? Some hair fell out. You know, keep going. And I guess because they had that lack of individuality that they have as well, mm-hmm. they literally, you lose one drone, you can you can assimilate. Well, on, in this episode, they get 18, uh, well, 18 people die. You, I, I always assumed they were inside that section still. So you could get 18 new drones for the one that you lost on the ship. They're so easily replaceable. You don't have to retrain them. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's not like when you lose you lose a staff member and you think, oh, crap. Okay, right. I've got to, mm-hmm. I've got to recruit. I've got to hire. I've got to retrain. It's going to take them right. two years to get as good as, as Barney who's leaving now. <laughs> I don't know why I went to Barney then, by the way. Uh, but the <laughs> but with the Borg, as soon as, as, soon as they're plugged in, they're, yeah, they're plugged yeah. in. That's it. They're... They're part of yeah. the team. They know everything. Mm-hmm. I wish I kind of wish I had the nanites for when I used to work <laughs> in hospitality, and I could just just get the perfect uh, workers out of it. And actually, what, what's interesting about Q Who, and I don't know if I'm jumping the outline here, but um, 
in Qhu, there's no assimilation. You know, this first time yeah. we meet the Borg, right. assimilation isn't even brought up. And those 18 crew members that were killed aboard the Enterprise are, are considered to be dead. I believe there's a novel that comes later that says that those 18 were assimilated. But in this first intro to the Borg, assimilation wasn't even a thing yet. Mm. And the Borg were after no. the technology uh, not you know assimilating the organic beings, but one thing that I always think of about the Borg is, okay, again we're we're looking at the late '80s here, a TV show in the U.S. Now you know Galaxy Class listeners or anyone who's met me knows that I am Greek at heart. You know I may live in the U.S. My English is American English, but everything else about me is pretty Greek. So one thing that always jumps out at me throughout TNG in particular and TOS is the very um, individualistic nature in I Borg. There's a conversation between Jordy and Hugh where Jordy's talking about being an individual and making an individual decision and deciding what you want to do with your life. And that's very American, you know, especially mm -hmm. uh, late 80s, early 90s. But even to human beings, you know, even to non-Borgs, that's kind of a jarring concept because for like a traditional Greek, Greek-American or a traditional Korean or Japanese person, I might not be using the word traditional, right? But, you know, for example, a, a kid graduates from high school, goes on to college, that, you know, 18-year-old isn't going to decide for his or herself. No, this is a family decision. It's stuff like that where in the U.S. it's so individualistic and you make your own decisions and you decide mm -hmm. what's best for your life. But elsewhere on planet Earth, it's a family decision and you do what's best for the family, even to the point of arranged marriages, which, by the way, have a better success rate than love marriages. I I'm a divorcee. I know I should have gone the arranged route. That would have made life easier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Don't get me started because we will go down a very long <laughs> tangent <laughs> or more like a rearranting. But anyway, so that was one of the things that was terrifying about the Borg to that late 80s American audience was no individual choice, no self-determination, no individual freedoms but a collective one mindset. And we're still, you know, we're barely out of the Cold War in the U.S. at that time. So it was kind of like this communist greenhouse effect, almost out of control, you know, collectivism. So, you know, aside from the body horror, which really didn't come into the Borg until later on, you've got this just terrifying collectivism. I'd never even thought of it in, in sort of using that, looking at us on Earth. Mm -hmm. And how even some people here, the ideas were probably a bit like the Borg, like you said, with being surprised at the idea of individualism and things like that. So, yeah, I never thought of it like that. And I would love to hear listeners that are from outside the U.S., outside from the U.K., outside from kind of the, the Western English-speaking countries. I would love to hear, because it's something that jumps out at me every time I see, not even the Borg, but hear some of the things that the, the Starfleet officers say about, you know, making my decisions for my life. I mean, it jumps out at me and I'd love to hear what listeners around the world, you know, what they think of <laughs> when those ideas are brought up. First time I thought about this was when I saw some, oh, I saw someone online a few months ago, I think people were complaining about, I think Jonathan Archer talking about handshakes, shaking people's hands and saying that's a greeting on on earth and people were saying well it's not a greeting everywhere mm -hmm. on earth it's not how we yeah. do it right. and that whole thing opened up i mean i i think it's a bit pedantic to to pick that on the show because in my mind i know it's made in in the, the u.s and it's and everything's spoken with it through the show with like that western approach but it did make me think about things more and yeah. as you said then and just all these different things about the career paths and such depending on where you're from how much control you have over that mm -hmm. and yeah and it does make you think about you know, the, the Starfleet voice, as you said, uh, these officers, it's 
it's the voice of Earth, supposedly, but it's Earth presented through the the Western worlds, yeah. and maybe not even the complete Western world. Point maybe, of view. Maybe kind of just the U.S., Canada, and Britain, almost mm-hmm. uh, with that approach. Yeah. You know, so so a very tiny fraction of the yes. world. The English-speaking Western world. Yeah, for me, it's natural to watch. But like you said, yeah, what's that? What's it like for someone who is from uh, from a, a country, a nation where that isn't the case, and mm-hmm. um, and who like do they think that the way that we speak through Starfield on the show, like how dare we suggest that that's the correct way mm-hmm. to do things. And oh God, I mean, it's profound to even try and consider these things because uh, I'm a man from yeah. Wales. I'm a simple <laughs> man. <laughs> I'm a simple guy trying to raise two kids. I add in all this extra thoughts about individual <laughs> people in different parts of the world. I'm like, my head blows up. And that's why we're having this conversation about the Borg because I think Really, yeah. you've got a wonderful perspective, and it, there's so much more to them than even before you start peeling back the layers that got added, particularly from Voyager onwards. You know, there's there's so much to pick apart just from TNG. They, oh, yeah. The amount of development they got in TNG in what less than ten episodes, I think they appeared in this. Yeah. it's pretty exceptional. And two of them Six. were two parters, so yeah, kind of like four, yeah. four different storylines. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting about Q Who too, <laughs> that rhymes, as an episode is. <laughs> The Borg don't even appear until about 20-some minutes in. It, it, it's kind of yeah. interesting because you, you start out and you think this episode's going to be about Sonia Gomez. <laughs> I know. What was that about? Who I heard is actually going to be in Lower Decks yeah. season two. Oh, yes, cool. season two. They're bringing her back. Cool, good. So so Picard didn't have her off for spilling hot chocolate on him. Well, then she was in the following episode. She was supposed to be a recurring character, but after two episodes, they, they pulled her. But then Q Who as an episode becomes a Q episode. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Q's being weird about, you know, you don't know what you need me. You don't know what yeah. you're dealing with. You need to go back to hide under your bed. And then all of a sudden they introduce the Borg. I mean, it's it's almost kind of unexpected, which I think makes it even better. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to rewatch it because you know it's the first Borg episode. And then you're like, all right, we're 10 minutes in, 15 minutes we're in. There. Where's the cube? <laughs> But even the ship, it when it's when the ship shows up, you're like, whoa! Like, what the hell's that? Mm-hmm. Like, what is this? To be and it's such a simple design mm-hmm. compared to the over, uh, the over designed ships we see all the other time. And you're just like, well, wow! This is this is so simple that it's almost scary but intriguing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't beam aboard on one of them even if I was that curious. I mean, I, even now, like I watch them anytime I see them on the ship, I'm like. These guys, they won't just kidnap you if they mm-hmm. catch you. They will stick their tubes in your neck yeah. <laughs> and yeah. assimilate yeah. you. Why are you just walking around? I, I would, and not walking around quietly and, and calmly. I would be there with my phaser, like mm-hmm. just spinning on the spot constantly, thinking something's behind. You know, when I was in my attic today, mm-hmm. uh, the roof, and you know, there's loads <laughs> of cobwebs everywhere. And whenever you think there's like a spider on you, you're just like, this just jumping mm-hmm. around and all sorts. That would be, that would be me in, in a ball ship. Um, but yeah, they did take a while, didn't they? And you get the stuff with Guinan, where Guinan just senses something's wrong, and and that just adds another layer. And it, like for me, obviously having seen since her reaction to that, I'm always immediately thinking of yesterday's Enterprise mm-hmm. when she was the one that yeah. obviously detected that something was wrong. It really felt very similar that vibe that she gets, and and she knows about the Borg, and she yeah. says about how they'd, you know, they tore through their uh, the Elorian. I don't know, solar system or something. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And and sort of her people were scattered as a result. And again, no mention of assimilation though, which I, mm-hmm. 
obviously, I guess they hadn't really come up with the idea yep. of where all these drones came from mm-hmm. at that point, because you would think Guinan would have been aware of that. But mm-hmm. So you get so much stuff really about them before you've seen them in action. Before they've cut out a hole in the ship, yeah. you've found out that these... And you think, oh, they can't be that bad. You know, this is this is Starfleet. You know, we, if we can beat the Klingons, we can beat these mm-hmm. Borg, whatever they're called. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, suddenly they do show up, and then it's, it's just wham-bam. They don't even respond to the messages they yeah. just sit there in space they don't the design of the ship i think is just brilliant because it there's nothing there's nothing organic about it it's just this utilitarian mechanical cube and you know the moment you see it that you're like whoa this is this is weird uh, and then mm. later on when they show it you know they zoom in and they show it regenerating itself and the you know the mechanical stuff healing you know which mechanical mm-hmm. stuff doesn't heal that's crazy um yeah yeah, it's such a, and then when they beam aboard the cube and the drones are ignoring them, you know, and actually what, before that, when the the drones beam aboard the Enterprise, the drone is just going about its business, completely ignoring the organic life and taking what it wants out of the computer. Now, actually, what, what you were saying, Kyle, that's one thing that gets me every time. Okay, this drone shows up in engineering and Jordy is just like, um, we have an intruder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why aren't you doing anything? And then the, the Borg is like getting information out of the computer and everyone's just standing there. <laughs> even even Picard and Worf just yes. stroll in. Because I think that's the the act break, isn't it? I think when um, the Borg shows up, mm-hmm. we black out, we come back. And then Picard and Worf are just strolling in. And uh, the Forge is like, oh, it's, it's over there. Even Picard's just like, oh, where? Oh, oh my. Yeah, yes. it's like, well, no, guys, <laughs> you've got this big, scary ship. You've been told that these, this is a... Mm-hmm. You know, pretty dangerous species. Yeah. You've had your chief engineer has mentioned that this intruder is in engineering. It's by the warp core. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. can blow you up. But that's all right. Just finish your coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and then just get down here after that. Uh, you shouldn't be in our computer. Uh, please don't take that information. Um, yeah. Stop now, please. I think had Yar survived Armus, <laughs> she oh, would yeah. have kind of gone in guns a-blazing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that would have been more fun if she'd have been killed by the Borg than by Armas. Or assimilated. Oh, and then had like half Borg, half Romulan babies that went back in time. And oh. <laughs> Okay, but that's another tangent. For... That's another difference there in Q-Who is uh, <laughs> when Riker and the landing party go into the Borg nursery. <laughs> and you've got these Borg babies who are very human looking you know, with the board yeah. implants. So, yeah. I mean, they could have been babies that were stolen from some colony. Yeah, I go with that theory now. Mm-hmm. But I think at the time, I kind of believed that they grew them. I don't know why. I, yeah. I just thought you could just grow people back then, I guess. Well, you can now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's true. Because the visual, even to me as a, a as a young lad watching these shows, was I just couldn't imagine two, two of these Borg drones getting down and dirty. <laughs> Uh, and making uh, making the baby Borg Origins is a whole other can of worms. Okay, I'm going to put it. Yeah. This show we're not really following our run order. We're just we're just going with it today. But I'm going to say that we were talking um, before we came on about people who'd been on the show previously, and uh, we mentioned Brandy. And Brandy, I think, on her show about Discovery the other day, was talking about how she didn't ever bought into the idea that control for Discovery was a precursor to the Borg, like a uh, an origin story. But, you know, during season two of Discovery, I thought it was a long shot. Mm-hmm. But I thought we were getting a Borg origin story. And I'm going to tell you why. Because some people are like, oh, no, because they're around for 
we know they were around for at least a thousand years and Guinan mentions thousands of centuries, which is obviously mm-hmm. much more. But the one thing that Discovery by about mid-season was making clear was that time travel was going to be involved mm-hmm. in some way. And I thought they were going to boot control back in time to a point where it couldn't do any damage. But actually, that was going to be, they were going to be, eventually would become the Borg. And I, I even now I'm almost disappointed that we didn't get that because mm-hmm. you could have right there indirectly have just created the Borg and Discovery would have never had to deal with it. But just imagine if they said, oh yeah, we've thrown it back in time and it's in the Delta Quadrant. You would just be like, oh, it's the Borg. What have you done? <laughs> what have you done, Michael? You've created the goddamn Borg. I was really gutted that we didn't get that on there. But I mean, Rhea, you're a big TNG fan, so you've probably thought lots of times and long and hard about where the Borg might have come from. So... It's funny you say that because I've never actually cared about where the Borg came from. <laughs> it is like that, isn't it? You don't yeah. need to know. But when, yes. when I thought I was going to find out, I was like, oh, yeah, tell me, tell me. But yeah, you don't need to know. And I was the other way in Discovery. I'm like, oh, please let this not be the Borg. Please <laughs> let this not be the Borg. <laughs> Did you make that connection yourself or was it because you saw fans saying that? No, I made that connection seeing what looked like nanites and the the whole thing. And yeah. I'm just like, oh, no, please no. Please no. <laughs> You know, because I think that stuff like that makes the universe yeah. a little too small. I yeah, love the yeah, fact yeah. that we don't know where the board came from. It's somewhere in the Delta Quadrant, far, far, far away. Yeah, I, I like that mystery. I'll tell you what, though. I think in with the way these franchises work now, where they try to explain mm-hmm. and connect everything now, and mm-hmm. Discovery's been doing a great job of that in season three, I think, with throwbacks. If we were to properly get the Borg done now, I feel like they would show us where they came from. Yeah. Because I think they'll they'll assume that everyone wants that answer, and some will, some won't, and some would be disappointed, some would yeah. be happy with what they got. I mean, I think you almost don't want to do it because it's going to piss off a lot of people to have their idea of the Borg's origins um, just shot down. Unless they have like a separate spinoff series. But, you know, when you go back to Guinan's people, well, you know what? They were rescued out of the Nexus. I was thinking it was just in the Enterprise B era that they were you know, attacked by the Borg, but I guess it, it could have been way earlier. Well, well, you know what? If you guys are doing Generations, I'll save it no, for we're not, that. We're, oh, you're not? No, okay. we're, doing, we're doing First Contact, doing first so we contact. can talk about That's that. Right. Now, now, maybe over on, on, on the Voyages, we'll tackle Generations, because the first <laughs> half is... TOS. Just TOS. Yeah, <laughs> because that's something I'm a little fuzzy on the timeline. When Guinan and, um, oh, the crazy dude, Soren... And, and the rest of the Alorians, when they were rescued, were they rescued in this, in that timeline, in the Enterprise B timeline, or were they ripped out of the Nexus and had been in there for who knows how long? Well, they were on the ship, weren't they? So mm-hmm. I always assumed the ship was from then. Yeah, so did I. But yeah. they were in the Nexus enough to leave uh, an imprint because mm-hmm. Guinan's there, isn't she? Isn't mm-hmm. yeah, Guinan's in the Nexus, yeah. isn't she? Yeah. With, with Picard, so and Captain Kirk. Oh, yeah, and Kirk, oh man. Uh, the but I would probably say that I'd always kind of assumed that that many Alorians being in one place was mm-hmm. that they that this was one of their refugee ships from from the Borg attack. I don't okay. know. Is, is that, that makes more sense. Yeah, okay. I don't, that's just always been kind of what I thought. Because yeah, yeah you, you're right bringing that up because I've always kind of thought about that when it's the Alorians. When you see Guinan there mm-hmm. and stuff, I'm always like, oh, this might be running away from the Borg because I can't see why. Why would Soren and Guinan still be anywhere near each other. Yeah, no, that's uh, at that, that point. If it well, 
and I actually I think it's at that point that's that's when Soren really turns crazy pants because he's been in the Nexus mm-hmm. and just wants to stay there. Yeah. If you want crazy spinoff series that'll piss off ninety percent of the fans, <laughs> here's my my theory is that Guinan's actually a Jedi. Oh God! Well. Wow. <laughs> so spinoff crossover. I mean, look at Q Who. You know, she senses yeah. a disturbance in the Force. Yeah. Well, first of all, with uh, with Q when he appears, and then yep. with the Borg, and yeah, and she does the hand thing with uh, with Q there, which we never see her do it again. Yeah, it's probably a reason for it. I mean, if they double down on it, it maybe wouldn't have become a, a meme in twenty 2020 twenty <laughs> and twenty twenty one. She had to hide the fact that she was a Jedi, that she was full of midichlorians, and but anyway, that <laughs> yeah. is another tangent for another podcast. She's in season two of Picard, apparently. Uh, yeah, assuming that they go through that casting, so. I think we might find out a bit more about the Lorians, maybe. And, yeah, um, I would love Because I'm trying to think why she's in it. I, a part of me thought the Borg connection with the show would be over uh, after the, I can't remember what they call it, the artifact or something, the mm-hmm. ship. In yeah, the, the artifact. Uh, now that kind of side's over, but we know Seven and Nine's around. So maybe we will get to see some more. I mean, God, Guinan. Imagine Guinan and Seven meeting. I actually think Guinan would like Seven, and I think Seven yeah. would like Guinan. Mm-hmm. But it would be interesting at the start to see how Guinan would would react to it. Presumably she's had to since. Uh, be, anyway, because we know uh, Echev came back and there's going to be other people that were probably former drones mm-hmm. around. So Guinan's probably encountered some, but I, I mean, I would love to see that because yeah, she, she says, isn't she, in this yeah. episode, she says like, get uh, out of here. Get going now. Yeah, go now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd get moving. Oh, so can we talk about Q's motives? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This still gets discussed. I see it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, people... Yeah. Every couple of months or even weeks, you see someone start a conversation somewhere in the internet about, you know, why did Q introduce the Enterprise to the Borg? And if you watch the episode and just take it at face value, uh, you think that he's doing it uh, out of pettiness. Mm-hmm. But even Picard at the end of this episode says that through that, you know, through that pettiness, he may have actually helped us because now yeah. we know they're Maybe there. Maybe he did but... the right thing for the wrong reason. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was the line, wasn't it? And... I see people now try to go with this approach that, you know, Q was trying to help. Actually, it was all an act. The whole doing a, a wrong that's made the right. It's mm-hmm. actually, he knew exactly what he was doing. And because he likes humans and... Well, I'd, I'd say he likes Picard. True, yeah. And I think Beckett Mariner, judging from Lower Decks, I feel like he's a fan of... Uh, and Janeway, yeah. And Janeway, yeah, Janeway. But you bring up Cisco, you're, 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 you're popped out. <laughs> <laughs> Picard never hit me. Yeah, I don't know where I fall with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Chris. What do you think on on that line of of questioning? I think this was sort of more furthering on of the test started in Encounter at Farpoint. But knowing, you know, hey, I like I like you as my my little pets, and I want to keep you safe. Well, I think this is a a perfect example of something that you see it one way at the time it airs, and maybe it was written, you know, one particular way. But add thirty years of of layers on top of it. And I, I see it totally differently now. Um, I think at the time that this was written and that this aired, you know, the, the two times that we'd seen Q previously, he was a total pain in the rear. Mm. I didn't like Q, you know, until probably a few years ago. I always thought he was stupid and annoying because of how he was written early on. So anyway, I think when this was written, when this episode first aired, Q was just being a nuisance. Um, yeah. And because yeah. of his intervention, um, like Guinan said, the Enterprise encountered the Borg a lot earlier than they were meant to. But looking back now, and and the layers have been added to the whole Borg saga, and when you look at the timelines, I think 
Q knew they were coming. Q knew that Starfleet had kind of become complacent. Had I think he was right in a lot of ways that Picard, <laughs> if you even look at the Picard series and the word hubris gets thrown around so much, <laughs> you know, kind of puffed up and overly confident. That's my favorite line in all of Star Trek. Sheer, Sheer fucking hubris. My favorite line in Star Trek. Which I think was spot on too. And I think it, it applies here. And I do think Q thinks of Picard as kind of his pet, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I don't have pets. I don't like them, don't want them. That's way too much responsibility. But people <laughs> that have pets tend to love them and want the best for them. But, you know, sometimes you have to potty train them or, or whatever you do with your pets. And I think that's what, looking back with, with the, the perspective of 30 years, I think that Q was aware that his pet was not prepared for the challenges that would face him and wanted to give them a sneak peek. Having said that, though, now with 30-some years of canon, looking back, how many times did the Federation have encounters with the Borg before q and somehow collectively forgot all about that minor detail about the Borg existing? But that's a topic for you guys for <laughs> later episodes. <laughs> yes. I guess we can kind of touch on the signal that got sent from Regeneration. Yeah. So presumably they would have received it around now. So mm-hmm. for anyone who doesn't remember Regeneration, uh, the Enterprise episode, we find out at the end, uh, rather foreboding connection to Trek Cannon, is that the, the drones in uh, 2153 successfully managed to uh, send a signal that would take about 200 years to get to uh, the Delta Quadrant, I think was the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, was was that? So they would have had it around now, or received it just after, I guess. Combine that with with what they learned from the computers and such, and the fact the Borg were clearly operating along the neutral zone anyway, so they were near. Mm-hmm. This episode, they got thrown seven thousand light years. Yeah. Is it mm-hmm. two point two and a half years at maximum warp to get back? Uh, wait, does that make them faster than Voyager? Does that make the ship faster? Uh, yeah, than I was kind of wondering about that too. I guess they were in a closer part of the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was just thinking then because was it seventy thousand light years on on Voyager? Is it? Yeah. It's like one. It's like one year to a Voyager had to follow the warp five speed limit that was set in what season seven of TNG or season <laughs> yeah. six, and then never spoken <laughs> of again. <laughs> because when they tried to go to warp ten, that just wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Then you've got lizard babies, and nobody wins there. But <laughs> no. Well, in first contact, obviously you had a Borg encounter with Earth. And then, mm-hmm. as we learn in Voyager, Annika Hansen, her parents knew about the Borg, and that's why they left on this expedition. So, eh. if I'm not mistaken, they left before this encounter. Yeah, it was before. It was 2360 or something like that, I think they set off. The Hansons thing is the hardest part to try and keep in line with, with Q-Who. I think, actually... Enterprise's regeneration does a good job of trying to tie into Q Who. I mean, we do find out from Archer that, and we'll talk about more, this more, Chris, in two weeks, but, you know, Archer mentions that actually Zephyrin Cochran did talk mm-hmm. about cyborgs. Yeah. Which is great because we, we obviously never saw, apart from a, a video of him, uh, Warp 2 complex or something in the Broken Bow, we never saw Zephyrin Cochran again. So what did he say about this? And they just assumed he was had these big elaborate stories yeah time travelers yeah. and cyborgs i mean come on what? and he even rescinded that story and so i think mm-hmm. you can kind of retcon that into somehow the hansons got really interested in this maybe they're kind of the conspiracy theorist mentality where yeah you know oh everyone said he was drunk and he rescinded it but i bet there's something you know it's a conspiracy they're trying yeah. to cover it up so 
I don't know. That's kind of the only way I can really retcon the whole, we don't know about the Borg now all of a sudden. Yeah, I can kind of, in my head, if I think, if section, because that's the kind of thing section 31 mm. would have. Yeah. yeah. So I can, in my, I can kind of in my head think, well, they would probably want to keep that stuff quiet mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. on, based on what we know about section 31 at, at that point in the 24th century. So I can imagine even Enterprise's records could have, because it would have been, what, one mission log amongst... Yeah. yeah. They were meeting loads of alien threats at that time. So mm-hmm. the, the Zindi attack happened just after. So Section 31 could quite easily go. go back in and take that out. Maybe Section 31 didn't count on people like the Hansons mm-hmm. coming, who seemed to be kind of working separately and, and encountering. So in my head, that's how I can connect the fact that, you know, Picard on the flagship of the fleet had no record. And the fact they didn't know about any assimilation, even yeah. though, you know, we saw that. We saw assimilation happening. Mm-hmm. in Enterprise's episode. So that's my headcanon for trying to explain away Starfleet's behavior. Because the Borg clearly know more about us than we mm-hmm. know about them. Or they're taking it, at least take it a bit more seriously. Yeah. So if we assume they've got that regeneration signal before mm-hmm. Q-Who, that might be why they're playing around on the neutral zone and yeah. stuff. Rhea, you went to Voyager after and stuff, so obviously you kind of seen episodes from them, but you didn't really... Like, what do you think about the Borg's presentation and how that changed? Well, I think what what you said at the beginning of this podcast about how the Borg were not like any other Star Trek aliens. I think Voyager made them like every other Star Trek alien where they could be reasoned with and you could work with them. And a lot of people don't like that. I mean, I don't love it, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. I really don't love it. Let's not talk about partial assimilation. <laughs> Let's just pretend that doesn't happen. But I think Voyager did a lot of great things with the Borg. Not everything was a was a home run, however, because in Q Who it's it's pretty clear that and and throughout TNG that you can't reason with the Borg, that you can't negotiate with them, you can't strike deals with them, that they are out to steal your technology or assimilate you, assimilate your culture, add your distinctiveness to their collectiveness. And then in, in Voyager it becomes more of a pursuit of perfection, collective pursuit of perfection. I don't even like the Borg Queen either. I like when they're just a collective. Oh, I like the Queen. Not so much her continued appearances. I, I thought she was a great villain in First Contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I thought she was great there. I kind of liked her presence in Dark Frontier, I think is the name of the episode. So the two-parter in Voyager. But yeah, they overdid it then. When she was in Endgame, it was like, mm-hmm. this is too much This is too much of a yeah. human yes. voice. And then she's the an Borg. individual. Yeah, she's a completely separate entity. To me, they took the sort of, you know, insectoid thing just a step too far for it because, you know, a lot of the insect colonies, like, you know, the bees and the ants, they have the queen that they serve, Mm -hmm. but they're all, you know, sort of collectively working together. And I don't understand really how, given that we now know that there's more than, well, we could assume that every cube might have its own Borg queen and they seem to operate on their own collective mind because, you know, this Borg queen in first contact was behaving like she was the queen that had been there with Jean-Luc. And even Jean-Luc says, uh, you were there, mm-hmm. you know, doing mm-hmm. all that, but that ship was destroyed. But if this same looking Borg queen can exist on all, all these different ships, it's like it almost implies that maybe someone else is creating the, the queens to mm-hmm. operate the ships. And then you kind like well if, well if we look at that layer suddenly is are the borg just the henchman who is the man behind the curtain that's what the babies are you know they assimilate everyone else but they clone their own baby queens that's why they all look alike too because they're clones maybe that's what it is and then they shuffle them out to uh cubes as needed holy crap yeah there we, you go we got this all figured out 
so we've explained how Starfleet weren't really acting on what they we know now know they knew about the Borg before Q Who, and now we've explained the babies yeah. and the Borg Queen. God, this is brilliant. I'm glad we've had this this chat yeah. today. You're welcome, world. As you said as well, Bria, we want royalties, please, Alex yes. Kurtzman. I thought what you say about the Borg on Voyager was quite spot on is that you know i'm I'm not a massive fan of how they got humanized i can understand that voyagers like the writers itch to do that because they were i imagine they were probably good for ratings and everything as well i think when they first appeared in voyager they maintained that like awe factor because i remember watching i can't remember the episode name it's in season three you know when they find a throughout the episode they're hearing about this time when these like invaders came or something and you don't know anything about it until the end of the episode and chakotay i think shows it's a janeway or something and it's a borg drone it's a dead Borg drone uh, on the planet. And that's like the end of the episode. And you know the Borg are coming. I remember watching that thinking, I watched it on VHS. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. And, you know, I was like, the Borg are coming. The Borg are coming. And then you get Scorpion, which I thought presented the Borg very similarly. Mm-hmm. Kind of changed in part two with Seven. Mm-hmm. But that was probably the last time. Maybe Raven. From that point on, I think they were humanized. And we were talking earlier about how what was so scary about them was the fact that they were not individuals. And they didn't seem to operate on any level that at least uh, us as Westerners could understand as mm-hmm. uh, individual behavior. So Voyagers took that away. But I do think Regeneration episode of Enterprise brought it back. I've always thought that. I, Borg was scary again in Regeneration. I don't think they've yeah. been scary for, for four years, five years before that. So we could never have imagined that from Q Who, that we would have got the stories that we got. The Borg are allowed to evolve too. I mean, BC's cultures grow and change, and especially as they assimilate more and more. More and more. You know, and maybe they didn't have queens. Although I think First Contact was, I think it was brilliant how they retconned the queen in. And it was just seamless. And you don't realize until you think about it that, wait a minute, there was no queen in Best of Both Worlds. But you can buy into it. You can buy into it, can't you? Yeah. you like, they show the footage. I think they show the, the one clip of her behind Lacutus's head or face. Now, when you watch Best of Both Worlds, you know she's not didn't even exist then in the writer's mind, right, but right. you're kind of thinking like, oh, yeah, the Borg Queen was there. Mm-hmm. That evil, evil... I won't say woman, but I guess yeah. she is woman. She certainly identifies Critter. that way. So yeah, that yeah. Critter. <laughs> so yeah, who's to say they didn't evolve at some point? And then in Voyager, they were dealing with Borg that were in the Delta Quadrant. TNG, kind of that area, these are Borg that are in the Alpha Quadrant. They've been separated for a while. Again, as a Greek-American, I know that Greek-Americans have a different culture from Greek-Greeks, you know, and Greek-Aussies yeah. yeah. and Greek-Canadians. So who's to say that the Borg diaspora, <laughs> you know, and... <laughs> Typically, the diaspora holds on to the old traditions while the people, you know, that are still in their native country or quadrant, as the case may be, that culture continues to evolve. So we've solved another mystery. We're amazing. <laughs> God, this is uh, decades in the making, this podcast. Groundbreaking. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're fixing all of it. Yeah. I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> I liked what Picard did. You know, in Seven hooked up to the mm-hmm. um, Picard spoilers, everyone, yes. I guess. Uh, but it's a, it's a year old, so it's, I don't consider that a spoiler. <laughs> when Seven hooks up to it, and she, I think, I can't remember what she says, but she kind of describes that that was the uh, the Queen's room and yeah. what it was there for and to pilot the ship. That kind of brought the eeriness back yes. to even, even, even the Borg Queen, because she was really effing weird in first contact. You know, like the tubes and yeah. all that. And she'd lost that as 
Voyager went on and yeah. particularly the last time we'd seen the Queen where she'd been outsmarted by Janeway and mm-hmm. suddenly the Queen just seemed like a, a villain of the week mm-hmm. and this kind of again reminded you how weird the Queen was like when the tubes came down and connected to Seven and you're like oh god yeah I forgot how horrifying that was to watch in First Contact as we're doing this now I, like, I'm thinking Jesus there's like an extra like six hours of conversation we could be having <laughs> right now about, about the Borg I guess two questions start with you Chris were you excited to see the Borg in Picard uh, and when they were announced to be in it, like, were you excited to see them? And were you happy with their presentation in that? Yes, yeah, so I, I, was, I was happy to, to see the Borg come back. Full disclosure for Rhea, because I don't know if she knows this, but I haven't seen Voyager all the way through. I've seen Scorpion and Raven, but after that, it's the, the Borg are still pretty much, you know, as they were with, you know, First Contact and Regeneration. So I was like, okay, so this is, this is kind of what I'm expecting. But I do like how... How they humanized the XBs, mm-hmm. but still kept the threat for the Borgs themselves. How about you, Rhea? Were you satisfied with that presentation? I really liked it. I know there was a lot of mixed reaction on Picard, and I really enjoyed Picard, the series. Yeah. But I liked what they did with the Borg. I liked the XBs. I thought it was fascinating that Cube was now an artifact. And the whole reclamation project was really cool. Seven was amazing. Loved Seven as the queen. Because I, I never liked the concept of the queen. But in Picard, when Seven kind of jumped in and did the queen thing, I'm like, oh, okay, I can see, you know, the queen thing. I liked kind of the additional technology that they had assimilated. Mm-hmm. The gate or the, oh, the Sakarans. They assimilated yeah. the Sakarans mm-hmm. and took their, you know, whatever yeah. transwarp technology transporter thing that i can't think of (laughs) but then i loved the fact that picard got some closure first of all when they first came upon that board cube and patrick stewart it was brilliant as always in his reactions to being near and then being on board a cube for the first time since best of both worlds but then meeting with hugh and i think there was kind of a some, some healing there but when hugh took him around and picard changed his tune completely about what these drones were and then he saw them as an well, individuals as beings, as yeah. you know, now they had personhood again. Oh, I thought that was just wonderful for Picard's character. So yes, I liked it. I'd have to watch it again, but I think you might you might be able to see for a split second regret for treating Ensign Lynch the way that he did after he got assimilated. Once he saw them for actually being people. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten that Picard had actually been on the Borg Cube on Picard. I deliberately not rewatched it because I watched it weekly. I watched sometimes two or three times a week the one episode. I've been waiting for the Blu-rays and uh, they're finally coming out in the UK uh, in January now. So I'm going to do a binge then. So I've been mm-hmm. holding off. I've had the I've had the real itch for the last month just to binge it, but I'm, I'm going to hold off. But I was chuffed they were coming back because people were saying, ah, the Borg are overdone. I'm like, we haven't actually seen the Borg for 17 years, I think, on TV or film. So like... That's probably the longest any supervillain yeah. from Trek has not appeared in any way. You know, even the Klingons were appearing in films and mm-hmm. uh, and things. You know, even if they weren't the, the main antagonists. So, well, we haven't seen um, the Zindi. Yeah, that's true. The Zindi. We've heard them talked about though. I guess my other question was, uh, Rhea, do you want to see more of the Borg going on? Do you hmm. think Picard's going to do more of the Borg, or was him shed in that body the way of closure, as you said, closure? We're done with the Borg now, or do we? think they've got still more to offer what are they doing and where are they i don't see any major i wouldn't want to see any more major storylines revolving around the borg and picard i think they've kind of done it for now and who's to say maybe you know i would love it if picard went seven eight nine seasons you know maybe down the road i mean you know the picard movies perhaps but um we'll still have seven and nine i think maybe the focus will shift more to xbs 
I don't know if they'll mm, be, yeah. you know, again, the, the thrust of the plot lines, you know, maybe if they have kind of a standalone episode here or there. But I do like how Picard, I wouldn't say they put a bow on the Borg story, finish it off, but I think they put closure on Picard's Borg story. Yeah. So who knows, maybe Lower Decks? Yeah. I, I do like the Section 31 idea of exploring that in that series, but... I don't know. As long as they, they do it right, like any fan, I'll watch it. I don't know how long Discovery can resist the urge. Resistance is futile. <laughs> They're in the future now. They're going to want to cover the Borg. I don't know how you do yeah. that, because how do you really cover it without explaining the way that even with the setback of, of Endgame that happens with the Borg, uh, what we, 900 years, about 800 years after that, mm-hmm. we're seeing Discovery now. How do you really explain that the Borg haven't well, the uh, burn, completely you know, overrun? The dilithium, it blew up all the Borg cubes. They're done. True. <laughs> but even before, well, we've only just seen a fraction of them. We, have, we haven't even really barely seen the Alpha Quadrant in Discovery. But we've seen star charts that showed in Discovery the Kazon planet was listed, I think, uh, Ocumpa, wow. uh, things like that. So they must still exist then. Yeah. What I loved about Picard was that it kept the Borg around because everyone tried to assume that Voyager, that Janeway had destroyed all mm-hmm. the Borg. And I never, ever took it that way. Yeah, me either. And in fact, it seems ridiculous. Mm -hmm. We see in Q-Who, the Borg have ships floating around everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even if a massive load of damage done to the Borg there, there's probably still countless cubes around. So I like that Picard kind of reminded us that no, the the Borg is still around. And Mm -hmm. I like that it's open. I mean, Chris, do you want to see them again? Yeah, I'd like to see them again. At least, you know, sort of mentioning if if we don't see them, why we're not going to see them. So, like, maybe the war with uh, Species 8472 kept going after Endgame, and they've been just bogged down there in the Delta Quadrant with them. Kept busy, yeah. I could, I could understand that. I could see that. What about just um, final thoughts, Chris, on Q-Who? I really enjoyed this rewatch. It is kind of timely that, you know, we, we get the news that Sonia Gomez is going to be back in Lower Decks as we're watching her first appearance. But I realized that it's got one of my favorite lines from Q, you know, teasing Picard, you know, the compromiso capitan <laughs> about, you know, the, the ballroom being set. How about you, uh, Aria? Is, it, is this a, an episode you revisit? It is. Although I, I skip the Sonia Gomez scenes, but um, anytime you're introducing a new species, a new, you know, alien race, you know, you're, you're going out on a limb, you're taking a risk, you know, you win some, you lose some. Okay, the Ferengi, that took some while to develop. The first episode where they introduced the Trill, you know, they ended up changing a good chunk of that by the time DS9 rolled around. So, you know, it's the first time you're introducing the species and they're so alien and so different and so frightening. I mean, terrifying. Mm-hmm. I think they did a fabulous job of that. The few kind of continuity inconsistencies we have already successfully explained away just in this podcast. There are always going to be things that change from the first, just like any pilot episode, you know, the characters, the series changes a little. So I think for the fact that first time we see the Borg, it's remarkably consistent with what we see over the next 30 years. (laughs) So it is one I enjoy. And then, you know, Q's motives. I love that that's kind of a mystery it just adds more depth to this episode, which I don't think the writers had any intention of there being so much depth in this episode. But, you know, with all the canon that we have to this point, yeah, it's it's one that really stands up, I say. Going on what you said about introducing races and stuff, like it's particularly like uh, antagonist ones, ones that are going to leave an impression. I think Trek's only really done it well, really well, on three occasions. And I think uh, the Romulans, I think with mm-hmm. Balance of Terror, mm-hmm. I always think, Everything about them, it was like, wow, this is what an interesting idea. 
and villain, the Borg, and the Zindi. The only ones I can think of off the top of my head where a super villain has been brought into the show and has made you come out of it like thinking, Jesus, they're a real threat, those guys, you know. And, uh, and you get that with this. Even though we didn't have the tubes in the neck yet, and you, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, Rhea, there was no mention of a simulation. Mm-hmm. And already you thought, God, these are like unstoppable machines. And yeah. God, they just got even worse than the next time we see them. Mm-hmm. And they destroy 40 ships. And So I haven't actually revisited this episode for, I reckon I've not seen it for like 10 years until I watched it for this, uh, for this show. So it's nice to watch it again. Pacing is slow but i've got used to that again with my my other podcast show with all the old treks people like sort of picard the show being slow i think they're looking back with rose tinted glasses at some <laughs> of the, the other treks but i thought this was a slow episode you couldn't do this now uh, you couldn't if you made this episode right now you would not be able to to do it the same way to wait 20 minutes to introduce the big bad yeah i think this episode what we saw across 45 minutes would make up 20 minutes of an episode nowadays and then you'd end up with the you'd have to have the big ba- proper battles and, and such but i think for its time and even in track i mean the throwbacks to the neutral zone which data mm-hmm. just casually mentions and yeah. it's like the, almost the first hint of serialized yeah yep story arcs yeah. in in track really mm-hmm. and it's so casual you know it was a syndicated show it was episodic by nature but mm-hmm. it's the first hint of it and i just think it must be watched and i think there's probably a lot of track fans out there who know the borg who probably have watched q who the least mm-hmm. out of all the, I suppose, major Borg episodes. But I think it does need to be revisited a lot. As you said, Rhea, there's so much that's consistent yeah. with what is there later. And I, God, there's a lot of, there's a lot of the major races in Star Trek who can't make that same, <laughs> that same claim. You know, the, the Klingons were not a warrior race when we first met them no. in TOS, I think. Yeah. That's my opinion. Even the Rom- uh, Romulans have gone through changes. And mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the crazy thing is about the time of... Star Trek Three was when you saw the Klingons become more honorable mm-hmm. and the Romulans be more shady. Devious. Yeah. yeah, because yeah. originally they were going to have the Romulan is going to be the Romulans, not the Klingons, trying to get the Genesis device. Oh right, I didn't know that. Good film as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Underrated. Underrated for sure. Yeah. One thing I guess I was going to say in the board, we talked about how they were humanized as it went on, and we weren't such fans of that. Mm-hmm. But when I agree with you about how they um, is still consistent from Q Who, I think what I mean by that is that the rules never changed with the Borg. They may have humanized them, and we may have thought, well, that's kind of going against what we was so scary about them early on. But the rules never changed. You know, they were still this terrifying collective that could overrun you at any moment. And good God, I mean, if the Enterprise hadn't got stuck in that that time stream yeah. thing in First Contact, we'd be gone, mm-hmm. and that would have been yeah. from what from one little sphere. And even in Picard, there was still always that fear that, what was the the colour lights, was it, or something? I can't remember. If the thing lit up on them, yeah. it would mean that the, yeah. the Borg would become an active. Mm-hmm. Just fearful, like, and that's always been there. So um, I, I just I just love that that hasn't changed. They've not, they've not changed that throughout. They're still, right. they're still scary now, yeah. 33 years after the, or 32 years after the first appearance. Mm-hmm. It would have been 88 or 89 they would have debuted. It first aired in 89. Yeah, May 8th. Oh, wow. So it's 31 years old. And a half. And Rhea, I'm glad you've been on as well because yeah. every time we've we've touched on anything TNG, we've brought in a TNG guru, yes. an expert. So that's how that's why Amy was invited on for she did these are the voyages with us and she was there to almost counter my hatred for all the TNG <laughs> stuff in that episode. And she offered me a perspective that I hadn't really considered a lot of the time about like she wasn't really watching much of Enterprise and she saw the adverts and was like 
oh my god, Riker and Troy are back. I've got mm-hmm. to watch this. And she was watching with glee, and I, me and yeah. Chris are sat there thinking, like, what, what the Wait. fuck are Riker and Troy doing in this episode? <laughs> Oh, well, this is fun. I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. And I mean, I'm amazed at how we solved all of the Borg's problems here just in this one podcast. Go ahead and let us know one more time where we can find you at, Rhea, in case people want to continue listening to you. Well, if you want to continue listening to me, you can find me on Galaxy Class on the United Federation of Podcast Network, where I co-host with the world-famous Amy Nelson and the world-infamous Joe Keegan and the world's best Santa Claus, Kevin Scarf. You also, I'm not entirely sure when this will be released, but I do appear as an extra in the Amazon Prime series, A League of Their Own. Oh, wow. Someone just told me today that they're seeing promos of it on Amazon Prime, so you will see my very large feet in that pilot episode. (laughs) (laughs) But not hear my lovely voice. When does that air? I don't know. I don't know, because COVID threw a monkey wrench and all of that. This drops on the 3rd of January, so maybe you'll be a TV star anyone finds out let me know because as the pack lid that doesn't kill people i'll be the last to know when it airs <laughs> <laughs> thanks everyone for joining us this week and uh, until next time keep your shirts on no promises <laughs> <laughs> it's a good job no one can see the zoom footage because i'm removing my top right now <laughs> If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash nx01podcast. There you can view our subscription tiers. Some of the benefits of becoming a patron include early access to our episodes, bonus episodes, and so much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from this show. To all of our existing patrons, we appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we would be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Again, visit patreon.com slash nx01podcast for more details. You will also be able to find the website link in the details of this podcast episode. The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by Chris Hill and myself, Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow NX01Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find Chris Hill on Twitter at thechrishill, and myself on Twitter at KyleThomasWest. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type The Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thank you for listening. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. It's a right way, but I didn't understand why she did it because that's never stopped her before. <laughs> Just like comes in like a bull in a china shop. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Stop your war. I'm here. <laughs> I have a problem. I need help.
forget your problems. <laughs> it's all about me. Thanks. My name's Captain Catherine Jane. USS <laughs> USS Voyager, problem solver. And problem creator. <laughs> Loading Holosuite Preview Program for The Vedic Assembly, a Deep Space Nine podcast. Okay, now I have a theory about this. Mm-hmm. In, just, this episode is called Investigations. Yes. Yes, just just bear no, with me. Indiscretions. Uh, Sorry, that was Indiscretions, a yes. Yeah. Here's why I think he didn't kill Zial. It had nothing to do with him actually loving her. I don't think he is capable mm. of love. It has everything to do with him wanting to get in Kira's pants. Loading Holosuite preview program for The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. We've talked previously about gratuitous. Yeah. You know, just showing off Jolene Bledock's bits and pieces, really, for no reason. That is one of them, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm a male, so that stuff is, at least at this time, was mostly targeted at me. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say that she has not got an incredible physique, because she, she does. Obviously, she does. But yeah. whenever I see those moments now, I just think, God, oh, so unnecessary. And I feel bad for Jolene. Do you know, like, did she get a choice? Did she mind? If she didn't mind, then I guess who cares? But that was really revealing, that shot through the sheet. It just seemed unnecessary. You didn't need that. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.